the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Tuesday, February 6, 2024. I am Seth Liebson coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. I've got Mr. Bell. I've got David Dahl. And I believe we have Teresa as well. Item. You know, I often cite to the story of Abraham Lincoln just after Gettysburg, often when a caller or listener will say they have something a little off topic. I point out that nothing is off topic. It's all our soil. Everything discussed here and discussable is just another spoke or spoken piece to one major hub. After the battle concluded at Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln urged General George Meade to strike again at General Lee's army to destroy that army before it made its way across the Potomac River back into Virginia. Meade did not do so, but nevertheless telegraphed President Lincoln that the army had been successful in, quote, driving the invader from our soil, close quote. Lincoln turned to his secretary, John Hay, and said, when will our generals ever get the idea out of their heads? The whole country is our soil. I kind of like to think of our show that way. Nothing is off topic. It's all our soil. Item, the comparisons of this election year in 1980 of President Joe Biden to President Jimmy Carter are legion. One almost wants to say lousy. And while at it, look at the derivation of that word. Jimmy Carter, of course, was ousted by Ronald Reagan. Then in the late 1970s, things were so bad in America and with her allies, it would be said that little could be done. Columnists would tread out variations of the line that the presidency and its duties were, given all the troubles America faced and the upheavals throughout the world, just too big for one man. Reagan proved otherwise. How did George Will put it? At a turbulent moment in our national epoch, Reagan became the great reassurer, the steadying captain of our clipper ship. He calmed the passengers and the sea. Things were bad, from the economy to the abandonment of our allies to communist invasions around the world, hostages. And in our culture, America was depressed and depressing. So much more, the worse, are the indictments on our economy, foreign policy, and culture today. What we cannot forget about the 1980 election is that all the issues of concern were united, from the economy to the culture to foreign and defense policy. To Reagan, it was all our soil. And I don't know of a speech he gave in 1979 or 1980, no matter the topic or talking point message of the day for the campaign, that didn't discuss all of them, neglecting none of them, including foreign and defense policy. This would be true even once he won the presidency. He didn't play in silos or small ball. His now and then famous Evil Empire speech was, after all, delivered to the Conference of the National Association of Evangelicals. Point. Our economy, our allies, our safety, our border, and our culture are all intertwined. They can't be isolated or abandoned. 
We must fight on all fronts. They are really one large battle. Oh, and for good measure, if you thought Jimmy Carter was out of touch, try this. Over the weekend, Sunday, Joe Biden gave a speech about how, when he was elected president, he was discussing an issue with France's President Mitterrand. Mitterrand was the president of France when Reagan was the president of the United States and died 25 years ago. Today, the conversation is the border. Nobody wants to talk about Joe Biden's senescence. Here's how difficult it is to talk about the border, though. Adam Carolla was discussing it with a friend, a friend who, whose daily news comes from MSNBC and Drudge. Adam was saying the top two issues in the election are the economy and the border. The friend denied the border was a problem at all or even an issue anyone cared about. Just didn't know of the stories we know of it. That's worth keeping in mind. What we know and care about may very well not be known or cared out by others, such as the state of news today. Talk about silos. Anyway, there's a piece on the border legislation in the New York Times today. It's identified as a fact check. Here's the headline. Quote, no border deal won't allow 5,000 unauthorized immigrants a day. Close quote. It's quite an instructive read, especially if you click through the hyperlinks embedded that the author uses to substantiate every point he thinks he's making. What you get in sharp relief is the definition of self-referential. The hyperlinks to to points the author attempts to make apodictic are all to other New York Times pieces. The sites, the claims, all refer to another article from the New York Times. Why is this important? Psychology 101. What you see here clinically from the nation's reputedly most respected and vaunted news source is their own view that if they write it, it's to be taken as if from Mount Olympus. To their minds, what they write not only is true, but must be true. And if it is neither, they will make it so. To them, they both hand down and arbitrate what is fact and what is not fact. Psychology 101, as I hand you the media diagnosis of what now here shall be called narcissistic journalist disorder. The point of the times is that the argument that the Lankford legislation allows for 5,000 illegal immigrant crossings a day is a myth. That's what the point of the article is. So let's go to it, as I urge you all to read it. This piece may be the nub of everything. If you were Adam Carolla's friend and knew nothing of this issue until you read this piece, the only conclusion, from ignorance to knowledge, based on this story is this. Wait a second. We have more than 5,000 illegals a day coming in already, but we aren't doing anything about it and won't unless that threshold continues? One wants to add an exclamation point to that question mark. Second, if you are the reader who is somewhat or more familiar with the issue, here's the quote that stands out from an expert, the Times quotes, from the Bipartisan Policy Center. Quote, we aren't allowing it, it's happening, and we then have to deal with it. Close quote. The obvious question presents itself. If we aren't allowing it, how is it just happening? as the expert attempts to distill the distinction 
to a point of importance. Thought experiment. If I'm a guest at your house and there's a storm outside and I continually refuse to shut the door, do I get to say in my defense, I didn't allow for the mess, it just happened? If I refuse to lock up the shop in downtown Chicago at the end of my shift in the middle of the night and the cash register gets robbed, can I tell my boss, it just happened? Here's a little more from the Times, quote, under the deal, the provision at the heart of Republicans claims would establish a mechanism in which officials would be required to effectively shut the border to migrants trying to illegally enter the United States and remove them en masse. Encounters would need to drop drastically before that shutdown is lifted, close quote. Well, now one has to ask why we tolerate, allow, let happen, choose your word, any number of illegals, no? If we have the ability, i.e., quote, the provision at the heart of the claim that triggers an effective shutdown of the border, why in the name of every dictionary ever written are we wrong to say we are allowing thousands of illegals a day before we decide to trigger the mechanism that can stop it? You, shop clerk, once we are robbed five times, then please just lock the door when you check out at night and turn on the alarm. You, Guest of my house, feel free to leave the door open during the hurricane, but once the tornado conjoins it, please go ahead and shut it. The final quote in the New York Times is from Senator Lankford himself, and it's a doozy. Quote, this authority is a 5,000 authority to say if you get to 5,000, which we have been there every single day except for seven in the last four months, that it completely closes the border down. It deports everyone. Close quote. Right. So why say 5,000? If we have the ability to shut down, as you all say, can be triggered at the 5,000 number, why 5,000? Why not one? We know what 19 can do. Narcissists can be dangerous. Disorders can be dangerous. Journalists can be dangerous. Somehow I want to quote Hilaire Belloc. Little boys should not be given dangerous toys. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Wow, that's unmistakable. You know those references, young David? Marshall Dillon, Miss Kitty, Gunsmoke? I should have been a cowboy. That was Toby Keith's first hit. I think he wrote it in 1991. I think it first made airplay in 1993. He was 31 when he first got noticed. God, 103 Years ago today gave us Ronald Reagan. Today's Reagan's birthday. Earlier this morning, he took out uh, Toby Keith, who died from stomach cancer. And I always get so emotional, so lacrimal, really, when a musician who is such a part, not only of just our culture, but various parts of our lives. I mean, there was no country music in the 90s and early aughts without Toby Keith. He was... I mean, he was as big as they came right alongside, I don't know, Brooks and Dunn, Martina McBride, Faith Hill, Shania Twain. Maybe bigger, Reba. Maybe bigger. Um, And the things he sang to, he wrote his own lyrics. That's always its own special thing. Not every musician does. He mostly did. Uh, It was a really good piece in The Spectator today. Country music star Toby Keith 
died at the age of 62 after battling stomach cancer for a year and a half. Keith's music career spanned three decades, and he racked up 20 number ones, seven Grammy nominations, nearly two dozen combined wins across the ACM, CMAs, and AMAs, and was given the Country Icon Award at the 2023 People's Choice Awards. He's a member of the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Toby Keith's legacy goes beyond his success on the music charts, and he was no stranger to criticism. Common complaints are that Keith was a jingoistic propagandist, ignorant and culturally insensitive because of his song lyrics about 9-11, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Taliban, immigration, and what he identifies as, identified as America's cultural ills. Less serious charges are that he helped ruin country music by recording party anthems like Red Solo Cup. These criticisms are reductive and revisionist. It helps to look at Keith's background when trying to understand the man and his music. He was raised in a working-class family between Oklahoma and Arkansas. His father served in the military before becoming a worker in the Oklahoma oil fields. Keith also worked the oil fields out of high school, but following a downturn in the industry, stayed afloat by joining a semi-pro football team and playing on the honky-tonk circuit with his band. He struggled for years to make it in the industry and didn't succeed until should have been a cowboy. At the age of 31, the song would become radio's most played country single of the 1990s. Did you know that? Keith wrote a number of his own music and over the next three decades would cover his humble raising with Honky Tonk You and Country Comes to Town and You Ain't Much Fun and Wish I Didn't Know Now and Love. What rubbed some genre purists the wrong way is that Keith also never took himself too seriously. He was willing to cut a record simply because it was funny or catchy, and he thought it might make people smile. He described Red Solo Cup as the stupidest song I ever heard in my life, but confessed he also found it freaking awesome. Quite a few of his biggest songs were injected with brash senses of humor. How Do You Like Me Now fantasizes about an old high school crush regretting her rejection of him, while Who's Your Daddy is a cheeky tune about a sugar daddy taking in his young girlfriend when her college boyfriends go home for the summer. Keith's music sometimes veered from traditional country sounds or themes, but he was never boring. He attracted the biggest controversy after releasing Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. The song was written in response to the 9-11 terrorist attacks as well as the death of Keith's father in a car accident. He said he was inspired by a cable news commentator dismissing the idea that America should respond forcefully to the plane hijackings. It took Keith 20 minutes to write that song. He originally did not record the song as he knew it would cause a storm. Service members urged him to release it after he played it at an event at the Pentagon, and Keith ultimately put it on his 2022 record, Unleashed. The song had massive commercial success but was dismissed by many critics as a lazy war cry and dubbed ignorant by Natalie Maines, then of the Dixie Chicks. Keith became a regular on the USO circuit and played numerous shows in the Middle East, including one in Afghanistan that had to pause for an entire hour because of mortar attacks. Keith's music about the wars in the Middle East was certainly not politically correct, had Strong overtones, but Keith was not a political commentator, and he wasn't trying to be. He was always more interested in presenting a unified front to the troops he loved and respected so much 
than he was trying to deliver a nuanced approach to foreign policy. Keith saved his criticism of America for issues that didn't risk bringing down heat on service members. In American Ride, Keith rattled off complaints about climate change. He always described himself as a conservative Democrat. He sang about the war on Christmas, screen addiction, plastic surgery, frivolous lawsuits, and TSA restrictions. Made in America lamented the offshoring of manufacturing, beer for my horses, a duet with Willie Nelson, longed for a time when crime was taken more seriously. An oddly prescient anthem for today's political landscape. Keith was brash, unapologetic, raw, and real. His music resonated because his song lyrics sounded like a blue-collar man talking to his buddies on the job or at a party. He was unequivocal and unapologetic. He took complete creative control over his career and never let anyone tell him what to say or what to think. These are rare qualities for musical artists nowadays, and that's why Keith demands such great respect. Five years ago, Keith released one of his soberest songs about living life to the fullest in the fear of getting old. It was inspired by actor Clint Eastwood. Keith asked Eastwood on his 80th birthday how he finds the energy to keep on going, to which Eastwood responded, I don't let the old man in. Keith wrote the following, Many moons I have lived, my body's weathered and worn. Ask yourself, how would you be if you didn't know the day you were born? When he, d when he rides up on his horse and you feel that cold, bitter wind, look out your window and smile. Don't let the old man in. He sings that song last year at, uh, at the 2023 Awards. You can see it on um, YouTube or whatever you prefer or enjoy most as your video service. And it's um, hugely moving. It's hugely moving because he is emaciated as he was dying from the cancer that ravaged him. His line coming to the microphone was, Boy, I bet you'd never envisioned me in skinny jeans. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. <laughs> R.I.P. Toby Keith. You know, you want to be sad, I want to be sad. And then you get songs like that. I love this bar. We have a bar we love now, don't we? Yes. Yeah, we found one. We found a drinking the restaurant. Hole. Well, I mean, let's be honest about it. The food is fantastic. And oh, yeah. That's the drummer. Well, everything is done right there on the grill. Yeah, it's fantastic. The dirty drummer. The dirty drummer. It's yeah. like our cheers. It you know, is. this is our this yeah. is going to be our place apparently. Yeah. And it's I hope thanks to the addition of the business from the Seth Leapson show, yeah. which I know all you out there in the audience are listening to this broadcast and just getting in your cars and going to the dirty drummer right now. I hope they have at least a 30% growth in sales, Yeah, at least. Say hi to Dana and Isabella on the gang force when you go. You asked me the other day, how what was it? You said, how many times have you been there since I introduced it to you last <laughs> I week? I introduced it and to I you. And I said, like, three? I said, how many have you been? And you said, five. Yes. <laughs> you don't have a right to scold me. I... Over the span of eight days, I was there five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have any right to be upbraiding me. Well, I, I'm getting a little territorial, you know. I Maybe know. we're going to have to share share it, tow I it down know. the line, I share know. it. I know, I know, I know. 
So I mentioned in my monologue, well, we we also will, yes, we won't be neglecting Ronald Reagan's birthday today either. We'll get to that, and David's put some stuff together, I believe. But in my monologue, as I mentioned, you know, this video came out of Joe Biden on Sunday, speaking of how he was talking to Francois Mitterrand when he became president. <clears throat> Let me get those pronouns right. Joe Biden was saying that he remembers talking to President Francois Mitterrand of France after Joe Biden became president. So like just a few years ago, oh, two years that's ago. That's not even the whole story. You saw that he said he was talking to Germany's Mitterrand. Yeah, I saw that. And I was willing to elide that because I, you know, that's in the category a little bit of Hugh Hallman, Hugh Hewitt confusion. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I, you can forgive that. But the idea that he thought he was talking to Francois or that Mitterrand is even top of mind. Top of mind. I mean, the guy died 25 years ago. Yes, yes. The idea, <laughs> that's who he's thinking about. I mean, you almost wanted him to walk off the stage yelling, God save the queen, like he did. Oh, he already did that. Yeah. No worries, he's already done that. Even after the queen was dead. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. So, um, Peter Ducey, God bless him, asked Karin Jean-Pierre about this today. This is what transpired. How is President Biden ever going to convince the three quarters of voters who are worried about his physical and mental health that he is okay, even though in Las Vegas he told a story about recently talking to a French president who died in 1996? I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole with you, what? sir. What is We're going to go. Hole? Go ahead. He said go he ahead. talked to Mitterrand. Go ahead. In- you saw the president in Vegas, in California. You've seen the president in South Carolina. You saw him in Mich- Michigan. I'll just leave it there. Go ahead. That's not an answer. I have seen him there. I have seen him everywhere. I, you know, I do not like green eggs and ha- I, that. Yes, we have seen him. Kind of part of the problem. I saw him today. I saw him today. Take minutes to come up with the name of Hamas after being prompted by someone in the press corps when he was struggling around searching for it. Yes, we have seen him. That is not an answer to. What do you say to convince the three quarters of Americans that think he's too old to anyone can get on an airplane? Anyone can get on an airplane, especially when the airplane is so well appointed and staffed by everyone who can cater to every little moment that you may or may not need when you have a retinue of staff that gets you on it and off it in the first place. Anyone can travel when you have that. Anyone could name places around. that. It's not an answer. And this is kind of about the unseriousness of America right now. We just kind of accept these road answers that have no connection to the question that's being asked. And we just kind of go on as if this is okay when it's not. When it's not. We all know the Hans Christian Andersen story. It was a little boy who could see that the king was in his altogether and said he had or the emperor had no clothes on. We have a necromancer in chief right now, not a commander in chief. WD-40 and a craftsman wrench. Seth Leibson here for the Midas Gold Group. Friends, the folks at Midas Gold Group have told me the U.S. government and the Fed will have no choice but to eventually steer interest rates lower because if they don't, the current level of interest rates will bankrupt the nation. There's no telling when that dam will break. 
But when it does, Midas wants to make sure you have flood insurance, in this case, gold. Call Midas Gold Group now. Look into the opportunities gold can provide you as a way to diversify your investments. Call 480-360-3000 or go to MidasGoldGroup.com. Midas Gold Group is the nation's number one veteran-owned gold IRA firm. Protect your assets. Call 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Midas Gold Group, always faithful. MidasGoldGroup.com. Young David, you got a great haircut, I see. <laughs> I was very excited. Yes. yes. I'd like to give a, a, a big t- big shout-out to Carrie. Yeah. She's in the audience listening yeah. just by chance. Yeah. It was a very good haircut and a very good experience and enjoyable, and we'll be back. Yeah, she did you well. You look great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot shorter than it was. I think this is the shortest it's been in a couple of years. Yeah, it looks to be great. Honest. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that are listening in the radios, obviously <laughs> I'm not a television star, but I kind of had the uh, semi mullet going on. The very the, the you look like Gordon Pat Gecko. Riley. It was Pat. Yeah, it was Pat Riley. It was definitely. Pat Riley. It was a long Pat Riley. Yeah. At that. Uh-huh. Um, and now I kind of look like uh, Gene Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Bobby Darren. Yeah, something. like in that. In their heyday. Mm-hmm. Or John Wayne. We could keep going. I don't know that John Wayne had much hair to begin with. <laughs> well, they all had prosthetic hair in the style. Are you saying and, that this is which, fake? <laughs> no, I'm just saying it was in that style. And, I see. And it was I good. See. It looked yes. good. I mean, who wouldn't want to look like Gene Kelly, John Wayne, or Bobby Darin? Right. Who wouldn't? I saw a friend of mine in the uh, airline industry sent me a picture from the airport in Fort Lauderdale. You can do Reagan whenever you want to do whatever it is you're planning to do um yeah a friend of mine in the airline industry sent me a video from uh, fort lauderdale airport of uh, speaking of the emperor with no clothes of a man calmly walking through it in his altogether just absolutely buck naked just slowly walking through the airport and it's i don't know a 30 or some odd second video and the thing that's astounding to me is people just walk right by him, you know, as if it's nothing to see. Just another day, you know, just another day here. And then, of course, when he gets to the um, <laughs> when he gets to the uh, TSA or whatever, the security entrance, I guess there's no need to ask him to remove his belt and shoes. But that's Oof. when, you know, everyone went a little haywire. But, I mean, he's just calmly walking through the air. But now, I don't know if the problem is him that I want to talk about if I talk about this much at all, or if the problem is everyone else who's just kind of, yeah, just another day, just another day in America. Um, Matt Labash, who I don't agree with much, um, but is smart and I agree with sometimes, was writing at his um, Substack, uh, col- uh, at his Substack column uh, a couple days ago, a piece I flagged, One Nation Under Lunacy. One Nation Under Lunacy. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, and I don't wish to alarm you if you haven't, but our country has gone mental. If you yourself are a crazy person who takes umbrage at my use of mental as a pejorative, I'm not trying to gratuitously insult you. I'm merely observing that you happen to have a lot of company these days. Um, he goes through all kinds of things. Why, just this week, I logged on to the Trusty Drudge Report, as I've done for the last three decades, not because Matt Drudge occasionally links to our site, but because he selfishly brings the apocalypse to me on a daily basis, so I don't have to waste time looking for it. Instead, I can dedicate the bulk of my hours to worthier pursuits, like procuring 
weaponry, hoarding survival food kits off paranoid sites, and training my fists of fury to become maiming machines, which I will likely employ on behalf of whichever side I choose to sign on with in the coming civil war. Most likely the winning one, because everyone loves a winner. But back to us having gone collectively insane... I learned this week in my readings that some demented maniac beheaded his own father in their mutual home while still having the presence of mind to perform a rant on YouTube. But even ISIS-like domestic snuff films might not be as troubling as some of the other battle songs I've been seeing. I learned that my old rightist homies have now declared war on Taylor Swift and her NFL boyfriend and on the Super Bowl, which used to be the one television event that could still unite America, but which is now purportedly a psyop. And then, of course, Sesame Street's own Elmo made the mistake of Xing and Instagramming and Threadsing and Facebooking the following innocuous question. Elmo is just checking in. How's everybody doing? For which Elmo garnered 205 million views on Elon's Conspiracy Emporium, (laughs) Matt writes, with many pouring their hearts out to a furry red Muppet who, spoiler alert, isn't technically a living being. But why should that stop anyone? Nothing seems real these days. Need our confessors be? Anyway, he goes on and on and on, and as I say, I don't agree with everything, Um, but he's just only beginning, I believe, to scratch the surface. And when you can live in a world that I was talking about where we can just accept a president who can't speak, he's turning down the easiest of interviews in the world two years in a row. The post-60 Minutes, the post-Super Bowl interview on 60 Minutes, he's turning that down. These These are the layup interviews. These are the easy ones. Donald Trump, to his credit, said, hey, Scott Pelley, since he's not going to do it, I'm available. I'll do it. I'll, I'll give you an interview. I'm not going to take it up. But we have someone not operating with an elevator that goes to the top floor as our president. We accept these rote and routine, nonsensical answers about it from the press secretary, as if everything is just okay. We have an illegal immigrant crisis to the point where we're watching videos of cops getting kicked in the head by illegal immigrants, all while we're told we who want to actually stop it dead in its tracks are the problem. We have a drug scene and a drug death crisis that is higher than at any point in this nation's history. I mean, on and on and on I could go. Why do you think Toby Keith was popular? He sang to the normal. That's why. Yeah. Is that from the awards ceremony? Radio mix. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, the pirate has passed is what Toby Keith wrote when Jimmy Buffett uh, passed away. I don't know what we say about um, Toby Keith. Maybe we'll, just another set. You know Raheem Kassam a little bit? He said he ran into Toby Keith at a uh, at a bar. It was actually at the Trump Hotel. And um, he said he went up to him and said his favorite lyrics were from Just Another Sundown where Toby Keith sings, wrote and sang, there was a time you told me you'd love me forever, but baby didn't forever get here fast. Those are haunting lyrics. And then Raheem said today on Twix, I thought Toby Keith would live forever. Didn't forever get here fast. A little piece of America goes every time one of these guys goes. A little piece of our culture, a little piece of us, a little piece of our history, a little piece of our memory. That's what's sad about this. And it's what I think at the end of the day informs and infuses so much of the unarticulated debate about illegal immigration. I'm going to get into this with the Hallmans in the third hour. But I really do think that we're all animated on this issue the way that we are and to the degree that we are because we're animated about losing something here. Losing something, and I'm not talking about this nonsense replacement stuff. I'm talking about an influx of crime. I'm talking about an influx of drugs. I'm talking about an inability to actually get things done that we know how to do and we know we can do if we want to do them, like solidifying our border, just as we believe every other country has the right to solidify theirs talking about the money this costs you know we hear david schweikert remind us all the time weekly almost that there are parts of the budget that are non-discretionary that we can't touch how much of the budget is dedicated to dealing with the fallout from illegal immigration whether it's immigrate whether it's education whether it's health care whether it's crime we're talking trillions we're talking trillions did i mention child sex trafficking And then, of course, there's the terrorist threat, which we haven't even begun to address. And people on the terrorist watch list that are coming. And China. I believe that is the most represented country right now of the illegal immigrants coming into our border. We're all worried about losing a little something here. And I guess I shouldn't say a little something, but a big something. 602-508-0960. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.